take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. We will finish up uh, Paul's first letter. I, I will say this to you. This is, this is a more difficult part of the letter. Um, Paul is going to move from a lot of the encouraging, a lot of the exhorting, a lot of the comforting now he's going to move over to what we would refer to as a very practical Christianity lived out in the life of the church. And as you come to verse number 12, it's interesting where Paul begins. Paul is going to begin with pretty much the leadership within the church as a whole. Whether it's from the elders that are there that make up the church down to those who are serving those in positions of leadership throughout the church, Paul is going to make some very specific points when it comes to that conduct with inside of the church. And let me say this, they're practical matters of church life. And so to begin this closing of this particular letter, and as he tries to, uh, to encourage the church at Thessalonica to continue in the path that they have been in, there are just some things that they are going to lay out that I think are so important, I believe, for us today in the church today to understand and realize and to put into place where we are today. But I want you to notice verse 12 and verse 13. Paul says, but we request you, brethren. One of the things I want you to know is Paul is speaking to believers here in the church at Thessalonica. He said, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem or regard them very highly in love because of their work. And then he says, live in peace with one another. Paul referring to himself here and, and those that were part of the ministry of Paul and all of his missionary journeys and the churches that he had been a part of, knowing and understanding that Paul himself had labored diligently throughout his ministry. Matter of fact, when you go read the book of Acts and you read all of his letters and you see all of the things that Paul was a part of, you would understand right off the bat that Paul labored intensely in the ministry. There was a drive in the life of Paul, his motivation, uh, that, that brought about the motivation in the life of Paul day in and day out that drove him to understand that life was a race, the ministry was a race, there was a higher calling at the end of all of this, and Paul had a tremendous responsibility when it came to the gospel and when it came to the church. One of the things that Paul also understands, when you go read his other letters, you read his letters to the church at Corinth, when you read his prison epistles, understanding and realizing that Paul was still writing, even while he was in prison, his ministry was still continuing to take place even though he found himself in stocks and bonds in prison, but Paul continued to labor because of the gospel. And the gospel was his motivation to what he did in his life. And he labored diligently throughout all of his ministry. Matter of fact, Paul made uh, reference to his ministry several times by some of the statements that he made about his own life. 
Matter of fact, he referred to his own life as being poured out like a drink offering. In other words, the ministry and everything about his life being poured out like a drink offering. We clearly understand Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 2, when Paul spoke of his life being a living sacrifice. Not a dead one, but a living one. And Paul had no other desire in his life than that those around him would see Christ more than they saw his own life. So Paul labored at that, and it was very important to him. Paul brought his life into subjection daily, every single day. And so Paul says, fellow laborers, he talked about them as being fellow laborers in the ministry. And Paul saw that, all of those who assisted him, all of those who were a part of Paul's ministries. And we go back and we look at all of them. In many of his letters, he closes the letters by making reference to those who had been a part of his life. But he also makes another statement in verse 12 that I, that I want you to pay particular attention to. He says that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. One of the things that Paul wanted them to understand is the church leader, those elders that were there, stands before, has charge over others in the Lord. And I, and I, want, I want you to understand something here, and this is something that we need to, to be careful with. One of the things that I want you to understand that Paul, and from where Paul is coming from here, Paul is in no way, and Paul wants to make it clear, it is not a dictatorship here. Paul wants them to understand this is not about lording over someone. It's not about lording over the church. It's not about being a dictator over the church. We labor together in the ministry. We come alongside of each other in the ministry. However, the church leader is the one who stands over you. In other words, who should be looking out for your own soul. In other words, that one who teaches and who has charge over others in the Lord and authoritatively teaching the Word of God. Authoritatively. Not from a dictatorship, not from a lordship. And, and my friend, listen to me, please, today. One of the things that I... That I if you don't get anything else out of this, here's what I want you to understand. We need to be careful today when we take those who are involved in ministry and we put them up on a pedestal. One of the things that I want you to understand, it, it, it's not about dictating. It's not about lording over. It's not about seeing one as, well, you know, I, I'm, the, I'm the pastor of the church or I'm the elder of the church, so therefore I'm the one... You will do what I say and only what I say. Here's what Paul wants them to understand. We labor together. We minister together. And let me say something else to you. To be involved in ministry as Paul and them were, why do you think Paul, writing to Timothy and giving charge to Timothy, that he laid out the qualifications of that one who would be in a position of leadership with inside of the church? And matter of fact, one of the things that should take place is the one who is leading, the one who is teaching, the one who is trying to set the direction from the church. It should be very evident in their own life 
their relationship that they have with the Lord. And let me say this to you as well. When Paul, when Paul spoke to Timothy about them being blameless and, and them, and, and he goes through the whole list of qualifications. But please listen to me. All of those who stand in pulpits across the world and preach and teach the gospel don't ever forget for a moment that they're men just like other men. And if we're not careful, we can allow ourselves to get to the place that we think that we are the ones who are bringing all of this about. Paul dealt with this in his own life, in his own ministry, and here's what he said. He said, Apollos waters. He said, all of us have a part of the ministry in, in seeing people's lives change because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, but one of the things that I want you to know at the end of the day, it is God that gives the increase. And my dear friend, any time that we think that church evolves around us and who we are, and matter of fact, all of the, all of the things that take place are a result of who we are, my dear friend, listen to me, we're sadly mistaken. Because it's God who gives the increase. For us to be faithful to what God's called us to do. And matter of fact, to keep ourselves in the place that we need to keep ourselves. And I'm going to say this. Why do you think Paul made the statement, I bring my body into subjection every single day? Because Paul knew this. The flesh, the flesh is what could destroy the very ministry of Paul. And my dear friend, I've seen ministries today. I've seen churches absolutely split apart. I have seen ministries absolutely destroyed because of what? Because of the flesh. Paul said, here's what I want you to understand. We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give instruction. And now look at verse 13. Notice what he says in verse 13. He says, and that you esteem them or regard them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. He instructs the congregation there in Thessalonica to esteem them very highly. In other words, to hold them in highest regard. Not in the highest of pedestal, but in of highest regard. For what? For their labor for their responsibility, for those things that they have been called to by God himself. And let me say this to you. Such esteem ought to flow from a love for those leaders and a recognition of the responsibilities and the labors that they perform, not in because of their abilities of lording over or dictating those things when it comes to the ministry of God. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This has been one of the hardest two verses for me to even speak on. And let me tell you why. One of the things early in my ministry for me to understand, and here's something that we all need to understand, and this is, this is so key here, and here's what Paul is saying. It's not about me. It's all about God. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about the gospel. My dear friend, when Paul referred to himself as a drink offering being poured out as a living sacrifice, even in the times that he was in prison, all of those times, what motivated Paul, what drove Paul every day to do what he did? 
Is there a grave responsibility? Sure there is. Is it a high calling, a desire to be in these positions that Paul is speaking of? It is. But with great but with great calling comes great responsibility. And it's not an easy place to be. Verse 14 and verse 15, Paul moves on. He now moves to discussing how the church family ought to respond to its more troubled uh, members. Look at verse 14 and verse 15. He says, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. That word unruly is an interesting word because it means idle. Unruly or idle. Matter of fact, there's even a definition of lazy. He said, so of the unruly. And then notice the next word. He says, encourage the faint-hearted. He said, help the weak. And be patient, what? With everyone. To be patient with everyone. That's difficult. To minister to, to be a part of, to share in. Those and we have a we have a responsibility. And notice what Paul says in verse 14. Admonish the unruly. In other words, those that are idle. Those that are, admonish them with what? Admonish them, them them this way. It's the way Paul did. There's a race. The clock's ticking. Understanding the urgency of the hour that we live in today. There is, this, is, this is not a day for us to come to the point that things are idle and, and we've become lazy and, and we've found ourselves at the place that, well, you know, I'm just going to sit here. Folks, listen to me. That's not what we need. As we have, I guess, more, more needed today than we've seen is, let me tell you what, we need people to get in the race. Understanding and realizing it's a race. Paul said, here's what I want you to understand. Admonishing the who? The, the idle, the lazy. He said the faint-hearted. Is it, easy to be, is it easy to become faint-hearted today? It is. Just look around you. How many of us have ever come to the point wonder what the use is? It just seems like every day I get up, things are worse than they've ever been before. My dear friend, please listen to me. If I can encourage your heart with this this morning. God hadn't gone anywhere. He's still there. And are you ready for this? God has a work for us to do. And here's what we need to do. We need to get busy at it. Being poured out like a drink offering. Understanding what our responsibility is. Understanding the significance of the gospel. What drove Paul? It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is the work tough? Yeah, it's tough. Is it hard? Sure, it's hard. Does it, get, does it get difficult some days that you just come to the point sometimes you wonder, what's the use? Sure. Well, when you get to feeling that way, I want you just to go back in time just a little bit. Go back to the prophets. Many of the Old Testament prophets, here's what God told them. You're going to go deliver a message to a group of people who are not going to pay a single bit of attention to what you say 
He said, but I want you to go anyway. Folks, listen to me. We have the gospel to carry. But at the end of the day, it's not up to us. It's God who gives the increase. What he's called us to do is to be faithful with what we've been given to do. No need to be faint-hearted. No need to be idle or lazy. And then Paul goes on to say, and he says, help the weak. Did you know we have a responsibility to the weak today? To come alongside of them, to help strengthen them. To get them to understand and see the significance of the day and the hour that we live in today. And then here's what Paul says. But you've got to be patient with them all. Let me ask you, let me ask you this question. Any of y'all have anybody you wish you could just... Anybody? I see two hands. I hear a lot of people laughing, though. You know, sometimes you wish you could just cut the top of the head off and open it up and pour it all in, put the head back on top and press on. See, this goes back to verse 12 and verse 13. When Paul says here in verse 14 and verse 15, to be patient with all. Let me tell you what the goal is at the end of the day. Not to blow through and leave three quarters standing behind, but to bring as many along the way with you as you can. Is everybody going to get it right off the bat? No. Is the light bulb going to come on right off the bat? No. I'm a standing example of that. So in summary, Paul encourages the church to be patient with them all. Would the church today could show a little patience? We've got a lot going on. You say, really? Yeah, turn with me to Ephesians chapter number 4. Let's look at one of Paul's other letters. Ephesians chapter number 4. I used to hear this growing up all the time. I about lost my patience with you, child. Anybody ever hear that? I knew I was in trouble when I heard I've lost my patience with you. Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to notice what Paul writes. He said, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Notice what he says next. With all humility and gentleness. With what? With patience. Showing tolerance for one another in love. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of what? In the bond of peace. Sounds very familiar to what Paul just wrote over in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 to the church at Thessalonica. When he speaks of peace, live in peace with one another in verse 13. Into verse 14, be patient with everyone. Then he comes to verse 15, and notice what he says. See that no one repays another with evil for evil. 
but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all the people. Here's what the scripture says. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. How many of us sometimes, well, bless God. Hmm. You only do that to me once, twice. It's my fault. It won't happen a third time. Because I will get you back. You know, here's what here's what here's what really gets me. Is I hear people say this all the time. Matter of fact, I used to hear it. Here are the words. Well, son. You made your bed, now sleep in it. I want to ask you a simple question. How many times do we see a believer who stumbles and falls and finds themselves in a ditch and we say they deserve exactly where they are? Really? Is that the way we should see it? Not according to what Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica. What about us? So what is practical for the church? Well, flip over to Galatians chapter 6. Paul writing on this subject. Galatians chapter 6. No wonder the church has such difficulty in the eyes of the world today. Let me tell you something. We're good for eating our own. Oh, hold on. Watch what Paul writes to the church at Galatia. Brethren, let me tell you who's writing to here, believers in the church at Galatia. Even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of what? Gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Look at verse 3. For if anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he does what? He deceives himself. Do you, see, do, do you see the magnitude of what Paul is writing here? Folks, we as a church, as a local assembly, as a, as a family, have a responsibility. Are you ready for this? We have a responsibility to each other. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I told you this was going to be all practical. Chapter 5, verse 16, 17, and 18. Notice what he says. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So what in the world is Paul writing about in verse 16 through verse 18? Paul deals with the three inner attitudes 
that should be a part of our daily walk. Notice the first one, rejoice always. Ooh, that's a tough one. But please, I want you to understand something. The joy that Paul is writing about here is not the joy that resides in your situation or circumstances in life. This is the joy that is found through the Holy Spirit that comes as a result of God and our joy in Him, not in us. See, the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit, it's called the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, and peace. That joy that comes even when circumstances around us have deteriorated and fallen apart. May I be unhappy at that point? Yes. But does my joy need to have been robbed? No. Why? Because my joy rests in the one eternal not in the circumstances. And let me say this to you this morning. That is easier said than done. And let me tell you why. The very same thing that Paul struggled with, and it's called the flesh. Because what does our flesh say? Our flesh goes down another whole different road. Woe is me. Poor me. Verse 17, he says, pray without ceasing. <laughs> well, how in the world do you pray without ceasing? Do you go around, do you drive your car down the road with your eyes closed praying? I've heard people tell me this all the you know, People tell me this. They say, well, Brother Robert, uh, there's no way I could do that because you have to close your eyes when you pray. Well, there's nowhere in Scripture that says you have to close your eyes when you pray. Let me tell you what Paul is speaking about here. He's speaking about a hard attitude of prayer throughout the day as the Holy Spirit lays things on your heart to pray about. Matter of fact, how do you see your relationship with God himself? Do you see it as a relationship between a child and their father? Let me ask you a question. Do you think God is concerned about the very needs and the smallest details of your life? I hope you do because he does. So as we're going throughout our day, whether it's busyness or, or whether it's someone we're going to have an opportunity to share with, there should be an attitude of prayer in our heart on a regular, consistent basis all throughout the day. Seeking for what? Seeking for God's movement in our lives. Not ourselves, but His. That should be our desire. For the Holy Spirit of God Himself to move in our lives. Praying throughout the day for the Holy Spirit to move us. Praying throughout the day for God's direction to be done. Praying throughout the day for God's wisdom in situations that we find ourselves in that we don't have the answers to. Paul says it's very practical here. He says rejoice always. He says pray without ceasing. Should we? Yes. How many of y'all been praying going down the road? I have, unfortunately... Sometimes I've gotten so wrapped up in the prayer. Uh, verse 18. Matter of fact, this happened just the other day. Boy, I'm going down the road, and, and I'm, I'm looking all around. The weather's so beautiful, and, 
and the sky is so blue and I'm looking and I'm praying I'm having a time in the truck with the Lord and I just glanced down for a second when I glanced back up traffic was at a dead standstill I slammed on those brakes and what I did everything in the front seat went to the floor okay and you're scrambling around and it's like everything's okay we're good (laughs) we're good we're good you see it's a hard it's a hard attitude understanding and realizing the urgency of the day and the hour that we find ourselves in and then he says in verse 18 he said in everything give forth thanks I'm going to tell you something put that one on for a while in everything everything in everything give thanks why let me tell you why let me help you with it here it is let me give it to you from a very practical side let me tell you why it doesn't matter what circumstance you find yourself in God is always faithful so can we give thanks in everything we can when we're standing there with absolutely nothing on as Dr. Fred Luter said this during Katrina when they lost everything other than what he had on his back he said at the end of the day he said my joy was complete he said I still had an attitude of prayer and he said on top of all of that I was able to give thanks why because God was still faithful my dear friend listen to me he is God is faithful he's the one that's faithful Paul said it's God who gives the increase At the end of the day, my dear friend, listen to me. It is not about our abilities. It is not about our educational levels. It's not about any of that. It's understanding and realizing God at work through Jesus Christ, His Son, being in submission to the Holy Spirit of God, and realizing and understanding that it comes from God Himself. Hmm. You know, I I hear people ask me this all the time. Let me just say this. What Paul gives us here in verse 16, 17, and 18. Okay. These aren't just good advice. It's not just good advice. Because you need to read the end of verse 18. It's what? It is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. People ask me all the time, well, what's the will of God for me? I can tell you what it is. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. That's what it says, isn't it? Huh? It's what Paul wrote. That's what we need to understand. Verse 19 through verse 22. Oh boy, is that time already? Hope you don't have a roast in the oven. I'm just joking. I'm just... Yeah, we have soup in the kitchen, so you don't have to worry about cooking anything at home. Verse 19. Here comes the big one. He says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Let me just say to you this morning, the Holy Spirit himself cannot be put out. He's God. I tell you this, you aren't going to put him out. He is God. So what is what is Paul's point here? In verse 19, 20, 21, and 
that's what is Paul saying? Paul's point is that the work of the Spirit in the life of the believer and in the church, if we're not careful, can be smothered or quenched. In other words, we go and fight against the moving and the work of the Holy Spirit. You can't put him out. You can't you you can't put out you can't put out the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to Galatians chapter five and look at Paul's letter to the church at Galatia. Galatians chapter five. He makes some very specific comments concerning the Spirit. And we see in verse 22 and verse 23 the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then look at verse 25. So if we live by the Spirit, then let us do what? Let us walk the same way. So if we live by the Spirit, let's walk in the Spirit. That's what we've been called to do. That is the will of God for our lives. To walk in the Spirit. To allow the Spirit to... Listen, God didn't call you to bear fruit or to produce fruit. God called you to bear that fruit. And the only way that you can bear that fruit is to allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in your life. To surrender yourselves, to to submit yourselves to the working and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. And so here's what he says. He said, don't quench the Spirit. Don't despise prophetic utterances. You know, I hear people say this all the time. You know, all them people do down there is read and teach and preach from the Bible. Hallelujah. Prophetic utterances in the church. Paul said, do not, do not, do not despise them. Why in the world would you ever despise the Word of God? God gave us His Word and gave us the Holy Spirit both so that the walk we have been called to walk and to live in every day would be possible for us. Why? Because we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit of God based on the direction and application that we get from where? The Word of God. Heard somebody say, I heard a preacher say this all the time, you know, it's amazing, God thinks of everything. Sure He does. So Paul says, rather than fighting against the Spirit's work, believers and churches ought to walk by the Spirit. It's time we allowed the Holy Spirit back inside of our churches. You say, well, wait a minute. If I'm a believer... Doesn't he live within me? He does. It's time for us to get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit of God begin to work through us. Next, verse 23 through verse 24. Paul provides a second of his benedictions in this one one letter. In chapter 3, there was a benediction. 
Now in verse 23 through verse 24, we find another benediction. Notice what Paul says. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it to pass. You can rest assured that God's got it together. Why? He's faithful. Are you ready for this? And here's the thing about God. God's proved himself to us. God proved himself to us. You ready for this? He proved his love to you. How did he prove his love to me? He proved his love to you in this manner by sending his own son to take your place. See, with God, it's not just about words. It's about action. That's what Paul's dealing with here in the practical aspects of this to the church at Thessalonica. Then finally, Paul closes, and I'll just give you these real quickly. He closes and kind of give you a summary of verse 25 through verse 28. Here's what Paul closes with, verse 25. Or verse, yeah, verse 25. Brethren, pray for us. You, you see that? Brethren, pray for us. If I could say something to you today, pray for us. Pray for me specifically. Pray for me every day. Why? Because I need it. I need, let, let, let me say this to you. Did you know that every member of this church... You know one of the things that we ought to do? Pray for each other. Thank you, Brother Randy. Pray for each other. Call each other out by name. Go to the Lord. Pray for each other. Pray for each other. Why? Because we need it. Let me tell you why. Even though our spirit's willing, or even though the spirit's willing, our flesh is what? It's weak. We all need it. How many of you in here do not want anybody praying for you? How many of you, it's okay for certain things for them to pray for, but certain things you shouldn't pray for? Huh? I see some grins and laughs, and I, okay, sure, let's pray for each other. And then in verse 26, he says, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Ooh. I can tell you this, I've traveled, been on some mission trips, Belarus, Georgia, and some of these places, let me tell you how they greet each other. Don't walk up and stick your hand out. Okay? They grab you on both arms of the shoulder and to this side and to this side. So here's what Paul said. And this is what he wants. He says, it's a call for a warm greeting. So here's what you don't need to do, church. Don't go up and grab somebody by both shoulders. Okay? You don't need to, to, to go through all this. This was a this was a this was a means of greeting. Paul refers to it, he takes it a little bit further, he says, with a holy kiss. In other words, that warm greeting, understanding and realizing that us as brothers and sisters, and with the utmost care for each other. Then he says in verse 27, a public reading of this letter he said I adjure you Let me, that, that word adjure means to place under oath by an oath he said I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren to read the letter 
public reading of the letter. Then I love the way he closes this first letter because he closes this first letter with an invocation of grace. Notice what he says in verse 28. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be what? Be with you. If I could end it this morning, it would be this. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. As a church, practical walk, practical practical every day and I've heard people say this all the time well you know that was okay in the church of Thessalonica during Paul's day but you know it really it just really doesn't apply to us today let me share something to you we would be the better by practicing what Paul wrote in his letter to where we are today amen